Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to The Back Row from what I watched tonight. My name is Matt Hudson and this is Retrospectives. It's my show where I discuss a favourite movie with someone who shares that same opinion. And joining me in the back row tonight, well, it's a jewel in the crown of the Southern Hemisphere. Someone who listeners will know as famously has no filter. And if you sing the title of Copacabana using my guest name, it fits. It's Morgan McGregor. How the devil are you, my friend? I am so very excited to be on here again. I just love talking about films. And this is so much easier than writing a blog. (laughs) (laughs) As some people might know (laughs) of me. Yeah, as I said, people who've listened to the show for any untold amount of time, I know that um, Morgan and myself, we we curated some uh, a little run of podcasts called Podcasts, where it wasn't about weed, it was all about Harry Potter. And I think our last show was a Christmas special, which is actually a wicked, wicked episode. Um, so they're out there in the world. If you like your Harry Potter syrup with a side dish of expletives, check it out. But So we did that a couple of years ago, and she's also a noted film scholar, so I'll have you all know that. Mm, yes, I have a real degree in watching movies, so you can get that <laughs> if you like movies enough. You can just go pay thousands and thousands of dollars to your local university to say, yep, she watched films really well. It's better than my PowerPoint certificate I make myself on the wall there. <laughs> real good at film. Yeah. I don't know. My one, they don't put your degree, what you got on your degree when you get it. So I could really just be walking around with a piece of paper saying, yeah, I got it in neuroscience. So yours is, yeah. You're digging yourself a hole there because you could also got it for someone else. Like, I'm not going to belittle any other co- topics. But... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I believe you. So you'll find me stumbling my way through film analysis here whilst Morgan will be <laughs> steering the ship. But as part of car shows, that was always the way it went. <laughs> I love to steer a good ship, so. Yep. And uh, Captain McGregor. Captain Morgan. Captain Morgan. Captain my Morgan. Rum, so let's do it. I'm sure you've <laughs> never heard that before. Actually, not that often. I expect it really? to happen a lot more often. I don't know. I don't think Captain Rum's as big here. And you can get it in New Zealand, but I've I've never seen anyone drink it. So, well, wait till I get my he... ticket over there, Captain Morgan. <laughs> I'll bring it over with me. We'll get hammered on it. I'll just get it on duty free on your way in. I'm sure they'll have it. But usually, I get like Morgan Freeman is the one that I probably get the most, and then um, a couple of ones I got um, mortgage which is, was very interesting as a 12-year-old girl because I, I didn't really comprehend what was happening. Um, okay, mortgage. Morganic, or the more exciting, morganic volcanic eruption, which I think referenced the fact that I am so loud. And then um, the <laughs> – or the classic morgasm, which I think is the one that stuck the longest. Yeah. Uh, I, I quite enjoy that last one, actually, because I think it fits your personality again. <laughs> So, uh, this this is a theme. Anyone who's listened to Morgan on any of these shows or podcasts, that will fit. <laughs> that will fit, especially when you mention someone like Cedric Diggory or someone like that. Oof, yum. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we're talking about Cedric Diggory's abs. This has got nothing to do with it. Tonight, for me, and tomorrow morning for Morgan, as you've probably heard, she is uh, hailing from New Zealand. Uh, we're talking about X Machina tonight. X Machina. So before we start talking about it, here we go with what I like to call the admin so who's it directed by? It's actually written and directed by Alex Garland, who went on to do Annihilation and Devs, which uh, premiered on Hulu uh, a couple of months ago. It stars Donald Gleeson as Caleb Smith, Oscar Isaac as Nathan Bateman, Alicia Vikander as Ava, and Sonoya Mizuno as Kyoko. Uh, released on January the 25th, 21st, sorry, 2015, having debuted at BFI Southbank London 
in December 2014. It was made for $15 million and made a very tidy $36.9 million worldwide. It was nominated for the Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars and actually went on to win the Best Visual Effects Award, beating out the very fancied Star Wars The Force Awakens. And what's it about? Well, it's a story that follows a programmer who's invited by the reclusive CEO of the world's biggest search engine, Blue Book, to administer the Turing test to an intelligent humanoid robot. I wouldn't pass the test because I can't speak. An intelligent humanoid robot. And if you haven't seen Ex Machina, it's, what, an hour and 50 minutes long? Go check it out because this is your spoiler warning. Myself and Morgan, uh, we're going to be diving into every aspect, every facet and every orify of the film. So you haven't seen it, consider this your spoiler warning. So one last time, spoilers. Now, Morgan, enough from me. Ex Machina, why on earth is this like, in your top echelon of film? Um, I think it's because... So I was introduced to this film um, the year it came out, but we didn't have it come out in any theatres here in New Zealand. It was a straight-to-DVD kind of situation. Okay. Um and not usual, we usually get everything, but um, this happened with, God, what's that one with Natalie Portman that came out like a year or two ago? Is that Annihilation? Yeah. Um, yeah, we had that, that one didn't, yeah, that one didn't come on theatres, and I don't even think we got it on our Netflix at first, because uh, apparently Kiwis are too dumb to understand That's it. That's it, same here. Yeah. Um, and I think that might have been the case with Ex Machina, is that they were like, oh, too dumb, let's not bother putting it in their theatres. <laughs> But um, so I probably never would have come across it actually, being that it's not on our Netflix here either. Um, but I, it was one of the movies I had to watch as part of my last year as a film um, student. So I was introduced to it by my science fiction paper teacher, and he was so cool. It was the best class I took, and so it was really this great like. Um, situation of watching these movies that he highly recommended so usually pretty good movies except for space mm-hmm. odyssey which sucks um and then <laughs> and then um watching them and then having this hour to just chat with this great po- group of people about all our thoughts and all of us just getting really excited so it was this really wonderful time and i think x market was one of the ones where i was like I-, I feel like i've gone to another level of understanding a, a movie um or a theme at this point and that was really cool for me i think yeah no, it's a good thing you did that class because you may have missed it, the fact they went to straight to DVD or straight yeah. to Blu-ray because we know the stigma that can be attached to those. We had the same issue of Annihilation just off that. It was released oh, on yeah. Netflix um, straight away over here because we all eat crayons. <laughs> Americans think they're so smart, but look at their yeah, president, huh? Thank you, so smart. Uh, but yeah, spoiler, I much prefer Ex Machina to Annihilation. Annihilation was boss, but... Ex- where, where Annihilation failed at the end for me, Ex Machina. Yeah, I think that it. that's the case. I think I was waiting for a little bit more with Annihilation. But mm-hmm. that being said, if I was in the middle of a science uh, a science fiction paper and had a really great class and we all really went balls to the wall talking about Annihilation, maybe we'd be having a different conversation today. I don't know. <laughs> that's a good show, actually, yeah. Um, I would actually like to have a proper like nerdy roundtable about Annihilation because it is... And Ex Machina. I mean, Alex Garland's films so far have lent themselves to discussion, which thankfully is what we're going to do tonight. So what we do on the back row retrospectives is we basically just gush about what is so bloody awesome about this film. So, Morgs, take us away. What are what are some of your major moments, best moments from Ex Machina? All right, so there is absolutely no way I'm not starting this podcast with talking about that fucking dancing scene. Yes. What the fuck? 
<laughs> that shit, I had not seen that movie in since 2015. Um, I watched it like 10 times in 2015 because I wrote a freaking paper on it. But so I was pretty done. I was like, yeah, I don't need to watch that again. Um, but I, every now and then, I'd just be like, remember that one fucking scene? Oh, <laughs> I'd just be sitting there and be like, lights off. just what? What is, what, just wonderful. Like on so many levels, I love that scene. It's hilarious and terrifying. And I think that's a very interesting combination of emotions and they pulled it off fantastically like you are equally terrified but you're laughing well yeah it's just the way oscar isaac he, he comes into the room doesn't he or nathan sorry he he comes into the the room and he's like um because because caleb is in there with coco and she is as we know as we later find out she is an ai as well she starts unbuttoning her top and caleb's like shit don't just i don't i don't want this and in terms of coco that's what we start to think Right, something definitely isn't right with her here. But Caleb comes and he's like, look, I told you, you're wasting your time talking to her because he's established earlier on that he hasn't taught her in English, apparently. She just won't speak. Mm. But you would not be wasting your time dancing with her. What a great light. The lights go in. She just gets up and starts dancing. It's really, it's psycho- it's like psychedelic, creepy, but mesmerizing as well. Like Just watching the two of them in tandem. And the fact that as soon as the lights go off, she, she's off. Yeah, she's like in there. She's in the zone. I don't know what it is about scenes like this, but I'm always like picturing the moment where Nathan was teaching Kyoko a dance he choreographed in his room one night. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> when did they both figure this out? He got really drunk and he was like, all right, it's going to be really cool. Like, it's going to feel weird, but it's going to look me. Stay really with me. fucking cool. So we're going <laughs> to... And he's like, all right, first thing, the lights. Second thing, this is the music. Now, Kyoko, we're riding on you to be as enthusiastic as me. <laughs> he's been <laughs> like, waiting for this moment. That's the only reason he got Caleb in, because he's like, right, I've had this dance number for years. Kyoko's he's been like, itching. It's not a cheering test. He just wants to know how his dance goes with audiences. Yeah, he's probably got he a big recital coming up soon. <laughs> he's got his local talent show going and he really just wants Caleb's feedback. That's it, yeah. It was just a Turing test on him. He was the Get Down Saturday Night by Oliver Cheatham is the song and it works so well. But I now like the idea of of him just yeah, sitting there like just shouting like, No, you're you're too slow, you're too fast and him and them having to like spend weeks and weeks trying to get this right and then he comes out of the competition. Like, right, let me need to get somebody to watch this now. We're in the middle of nowhere. Ah, after we can't have this go go to nothing, and the whole time Caleb's just like, "What the fuck's going on?" His face, like Donald Gleason is a boss in this, but his face is just like, "What? What? What is you this?" You can tell he's processing it at the same speed that we are. Like yes. he's like, "I am." What is going on? I love it. I just love it. I love it so much. I could watch that once a day and just die happy. It's just the most fucking weird scene. And, but it fits this though. Comes out of nowhere. It does, exactly. That's what's it's so bizarre, but it flows entirely perfectly with the movie. Yeah. It's and just a line before it, because uh we see Ava, which is Alicia Ficana's AI, she's drawing a picture and we see uh, via Caleb on his screen in his bedroom, and Nathan goes in and tears it up. And Caleb's trying to say to him, like, well, you know, what's your, what, were you, what were you doing? Why did you tear it? You tore up her picture. And Nathan's just like, I'm going to tear up the fucking dance floor, dude. Check oh, this out. <laughs> and it's just like, yes, you are. And it's just Oscar Isaac in that because it's him as well. Like sometimes, sometimes when you see an actor in a role, you're just like, 
had that been someone else, it would have been cool. But the fact that it's Oscar Isaac as well, it's like, this is just like heaven. This is awesome. Oh, my God. That, do you know what? Because, I don't know, have we talked about Star Wars before? But I love Oscar Isaac. I love Poe Dameron in Star Wars. That man is a tall glass of water. And I'm just <laughs> obsessed with him. But, like, he's like, you know, the the Harrison Ford of the, the what do you call them? The sequels? The sequels. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to call them the prequels. but Both films, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I and they they came out what relatively close together. The Force they came Awakens. Out the same, yeah, they came out. The, well, Force Awakens came out uh, a couple of months after this yeah. film. Did, well, six months later, and they, yeah, they both competed for a few Oscars together. I did not clock that it was the same guy. I couldn't. <laughs> I didn't clock it. And it General took Hux me well. so long. At General Hawks, I was like, oh, yeah, he's in two movies. <laughs> Never, ever did I. Because Nathan is ugly <laughs> and psychotic. <laughs> he's going through some shit. Like, he's very clearly a red flag waiting to happen. Um, and he's got the full crazy beard on the bottom half of him and then no hair on the top half. Whereas Poe Dameron is like very assured of himself. He would treat you right, girl. He would treat you right. And he's got a luscious locks on the top half of his head and no beard. And so those were two different people to me. And his trousers are too tight in the Rise of Skywalker, which is excellent. I love it. I love it so I knew much. it. I knew you would. Yeah, no, honestly, yeah. When you, that's just Oscar Rise because he's like, he's so good in his roles and, on him, he's recently said he yeah. doesn't want. He doesn't want to do these big budget films anymore. He wants to do films like this, where he can, you know, get his teeth stuck into a role. When he see him in films like this and yeah. um, uh, Inside Llewellyn Davis and things like that, this guy's got talent, and there's never been in doubt. He is, yeah, he's feeling his oats when he does stuff like this. Mm. You can tell he's living and breathing the story that he's he's trying to work on. Yeah, and this and in that scene as well, as he gets to let loose, but again, as if it fits. It's, I don't know how, but it fits. But it also, it does also. We like I say we are like Caleb at the time. We're like, right, what's going on? Because we've been introduced as Kyoko. She first comes in to wake um, Caleb up. She's a, she comes in very short dress on, doesn't say anything, serves him breakfast and walks out. The next, she's serving them dinner, spills a drink, gets shouted at, and walks off with her head hanging shame. Then we kind of see her in the background naked. And then th- this moment when she's like unbuttoning her top, I was like, what, the, what is going on here? Because, again, we are not privy to the fact that she's AI. We, we're now starting to think something's up. But the dance scene is yeah. when we're just like, okay, right. So, something's definitely up now. So, yeah. I hadn't actually clicked. The first <laughs> time, right. I hadn't clicked. So the first time I watched her, I wasn't like, yeah, she's definitely a robot. I was just, I was just under the assumption that he'd essentially just brainwashed a servant. Or something. Uh, I really wish I remembered what my first impression of her was. I want to know if I clocked it or if I, yeah, like I, I don't know. It would be. I would. I wish I could go back in time to know whether I was the same or not. I didn't clock an awful lot in this film, Um, apart from something I'm going to mention much later on, which revolves around Ava. But I know. To be honest, I, I wasn't sure because. It leads you on a little chase because you you meant to believe Nathan's the bad guy, but is he? And then you meant to believe that you know Caleb is, you know Caleb's just this innocent kind of naive programmer, 
uh, and that Kyoko is not what she thinks, who she says she is, and Ava is so and so, and the whole operation is meant to be, you know, you're led down so many garden paths that by the end of it, it's kind of like, Jesus, sucker, I didn't see this, this, and this coming. Yeah, it's a, it is a wonderful way that it's done, though. I think you flow through it very comfortably. Like, there's no, you know, when you're sitting there, you're like, oh, I just wish they would tell me. Like, just mm-hmm. get it, like, get it on with. But with this, you're just quite content to sort of sit back and enjoy the ride and see where it goes because I don't know. It's just I, I really like the flow of for the movie in that respect. Yeah, upon rewatching it, um, I I really dug the like I say the flow, the pacing, hour and fifty minutes to get so much in because I for some reason I was under the impression this was about twenty thirty minutes longer. So I was really surprised when I was like, damn, it's only it's not even two hours long. I was waiting for a Blade Runner. T- what was that? What was the recent Blade Runner? Yeah, your favorite. <gasps> Yeah, your favourite. It's 17 hours long. It just takes forever. Oh, not this one. This, this is how you do sci-fi, it, isn't it? Ex Machina was like, no, I I got this. I don't need that kind of time. And I'm going to pack enough in it. And I think that they did it far more successfully. I do. Um, so for the listeners, I have... I actually managed to find my essay that I wrote on Ex Machina um, back in the day. And I had written in it, and this was before the most recent Blade Runner. Um, I hate the first Blade Runner as well, just to clear the air. I remember that. Um, (laughs) um, And I had written that this Ex Machina could be seen in some ways as the prequel to Blade Runner, sort of the how AI started situation. And yeah, I still, I just think Ex Machina does what Blade Runner wanted to do much more efficiently and yeah, just much better, I think. Just a, this, they're not, they didn't come to fuck spiders, you know, like they were here to just do the thing and they did it. No, they, they did. And a lot more succinct. I, I didn't mind Blade Runner 2049. Um, You're I compare, wrong. Like, okay. This is our first argument. But, but look, Gosling, isn't it? Gosling with that stubble and that jacket. Come on. Give me, give me, oh, give yeah, me some credit. For sure. For sure. But Gosling's a bit overdone, isn't he? Give me Not to me. Oh, well, and do you know I'm, what? I'm actually, Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford still pops off in that little salt and pepper kind of way. So yeah, I'm yeah. not opposed. But There we go. But in terms of the story, X Machina did it. It's just fucking sucked, man. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> I remember your thoughts on Blade Runner were not good. For, for, I, remember, no. I remember that. Um, but I think Upgrade, I don't know if you saw that, Upgrade's quite similar to this as well in terms of it just gets the no, job I done. Seen it. It's pretty. It's a decent story. It's got, um, I can't remember the guy's name now, but he looks a lot like Tom Hardy. Um, I can't think of his name. Sorry for listening, mate. But that's also like a done Gets through yeah, its story. It's very successful. Sci-fi. It's a. It's a. Again, it's an independent sci-fi movie, or at least a very low-budget one. And it. May, and that seems to be the case. Low-budget sci-fi seems to be bossed like Ex Machina. Well, yeah, they just million don't have dollars. the money to fuck around. You know, well, like, it's, it's character-based. The whole yeah. thing's character-driven. Exactly, and I think that that's a little bit of the reason why indie science fiction is a great way to experience science fiction as opposed to that big budget stuff. Because I think, and I suppose we all, we all know the example of George Lucas, you know, when he was, when he had no money, he made great movies. And mm-hmm. then once yeah. he did have money, he made terrible movies. And I think that that's just the, the problem with science fiction is once you get too much money, you start to overcomplicate things. Whereas it doesn't need it. No, you lose track of what 
film is and film for me has always been about the the, the, the people in it, like the the characters. The situation is just as important. But if you don't buy the characters, don't believe them, you don't care about them, or you don't feel the way the writer screenplay screenwriter sorry intend you to feel about them, then I I'm already at a loss with certain films. Um, oh, I was just gonna say if X Machina had the budget of Blade Runner, oh. <clears throat> It's early, sorry. If <laughs> X Machina had the budget of Blade Runner, I think it wouldn't have been as good of a film. I think there would have been scene changes, maybe they would have flown somewhere, or mm. there would have been so many more characters and all of the, like a whole bunch of other stuff that's just unnecessary. And so I think that stripped back version, I like I would hate to see X Machina done with a bigger budget. I think that would have ruined it. Oh, I'd agree with you. Other than like the the, the opening scene of this film where it's uh, Caleb getting an email in his office, finding out that he's won a competition of some sort, the, pretty much the um, film is one location. It's within yeah. the sexy, beautiful apartment that Nathan has. Like the, Everything is like on point. Like all the, It's all perfectly furnished. Everything's in the right position at the precisely correct angle. Looks perfect. It's a wonderful – I would go there. That seems like – the Airbnb of my dreams. But I think that that really adds to it, like this sense of isolation, like he can't leave because he's in the middle of nowhere and it's very familiar surroundings. So we don't have to keep changing our perspective of where we are and where the story is taking us, but we also feel isolated. We are very much stuck in that house with them. Yeah, the apartment itself is sci-fi. I mean, it's it's very white, it's very clean and pristine, like the sci-fi everybody thinks of but without being too sci-fi. And I think I read somewhere that Alex Garland installed certain lights in the building. So it didn't give off like the sci-fi. Um, so the, the lighting didn't come across as too sci-fi. Um, anybody out there listening may be able to expand on that, but he went, Alex Garland went to certain lengths to make sure his film didn't look too much like Space Odyssey or something like that, where it's all very mm. white and all very, you know, it, that particular look. Well, yeah, something that, um, if in the film degree that I always was it was drilled into me is the lighting in science mm-hmm. fiction movies because the lighting in science fiction movies is far more utilized than it is in other genres like if you watch the matrix like when he's in the matrix it's this like bluish greenish color like this really cold and human feeling and then when he leaves the matrix it's this like warm yellowy shade that's really strong like this is something that you see in most science fiction films is the coloring used but with ex machina i would i would say yeah they don't, they don't over color anything it feels very natural like you're there even when the red lights come on mm-hmm. but what i found really interesting about the place that they were staying in is that it's really cold and unfeeling but at the same time it's very like it's utilizing all of the natural resources around it. Like some of the walls are just the cliff faces. Like Mm -hmm. they aren't flat walls or there's like, you know, water running and there's trees and stuff inside. So it does feel very natural as opposed to that sciencey like hospital bed kind of situation you'd be used to. No, I agree. Yeah. I'd absolutely love to live there as well. And, I was looking around the house for clues and in, in one of the scenes at the beginning, because Nathan comes across as like very ebullient, uh, very, you know, he's intimidating to Caleb, but he's kind of like, look, dude, let's just get the awkwardness out of the way and let's just have a good time here. When I was watching after the first interaction with Ava uh, that Caleb has, 
I'm looking around and you can see just behind Nathan's shoulder in the wall is a little microphone, just just cat, like um, little um, little dots in the wall microphones, just so he so you can <laughs> kind of get that sense of paranoia that everything is being monitored. Yeah. As we find out later on, Nathan has monitored the entire world and taken their data via Blue Book. But I was like straight away, there's little hints How and nods. But no, yeah, because you first see Nathan, he's boxing, isn't he? He's got a hangover and he's kind of the like the play almost like the, the reclusive playboy type who just wants to be one of the guys and Caleb doesn't quite know what to make of him and it's only when Caleb actually goes to speak to Ava does he kind of come out of his shell a little bit and when they have to start having their their sessions yeah yeah definitely I yeah I think it's great I think um I can't really think of what else is another favorite scene of mine a lot of them just it's way up there for like across the board I mm. guess I love the scene where um, Ava finds the sort of bluebird room, bluebeard room with all the um, all the dead ones, yeah, yeah, all the dead wives stacked up in boxes. Basically, I love that scene just because it is. I I do remember it. It doesn't have the same impact the more you watch the movie, but the first time you're just like, "Geez, that's fucked up." Yeah, <laughs> that's oh, yeah. that's quite just slow and essentially taking off the other AI skin. And putting onto her own one, it's also it's all very. I think it's all very tastefully done. It's all very like very gracious, and even when it she's is. standing, looking at herself stark naked in the mirror, it's like watching Marilyn Monroe get dressed for a date or something. Yes, or me, or you. Yes, getting dressed to go to the shops. You know, very nice, very opera in the background. But it didn't feel exploitative. It didn't to me. It didn't anyway. It felt you know everything. It felt on the level when like even like say even when she's sitting there but staring herself naked it didn't seem like that was done for titillation purposes or for the male gaze mm-hmm. i don't think it did anyway you may obviously think differently but i thought yeah that scene i was like it felt there was something about her like the way she's admiring herself yeah. finally was like this is somebody who knows what she she's been thinking she's been planning this the whole time or at least been trying to manipulate her way in and on rewatches you can see that ava has been trying to manipulate her way around the way she questions to get Caleb on board and this is her realisation now of yeah. what she can become yeah and I think it seems like that and like you mentioned I did um, clock a few moments of ma- the male gaze I think there were some moments where I was like why is the angle on her butt yeah. <laughs> in this scene it's a little bit unnecessary but for the most part what I found really interesting with this film is that there were moments where I had to second guess where it was actually directed by a male. I thought, surely a woman made this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, I mean, being that I am a woman and quite the um, insane feminist, I tend to take that as a good thing. I think, wow, that that's testament to how good of a film it is that I think it's made by a woman. Well, you hear <laughs> but, a lot of people say that, don't they? they? A lot of people say that men shouldn't be writing films which are centering I around. I don't think men should. We should just stick. Yeah, men should be writing films. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why we've got you working. Yeah, what am I even doing here? Yeah, um, but you, you do get obviously people saying that, that, and it's the same for people are minority as well and different backgrounds. That if you haven't experienced that, how can you write about it? But I agree. I think Alex Garland does a pretty stand-up job. It is a fantastic job, and that isn't to say, and you know that I want to talk about this later, but that mm. isn't to say that this is the perfect film. This is by no means um, a feminist film, and this is by no means like the perfect film in terms of gender representation or race representation. But if you aren't, you know, paying heavy attention to it and trying to dissect it like someone 
like us would, mm. I think you can say, wow, like there's not a lot of the male gaze there. The, we get a really good look at a female character and there are more women in the movie than there are men, which yeah. almost never happens. I, I'm struggling to think of another movie of mine that I've watched recently that has had more female characters than men. And that that's excluding things like chick flicks and stuff like of that. Course, because, yeah. But like, you know, you're more gender neutral type of movie. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen one that has more women than men. Well, no, I mean, well, obviously that, that is one of the, that's one of the issues you mentioned. And it was, like you said, well, let's just jump, jump into it now. There are more female characters than male, but does it make it a feminist movie? And I was yeah, interested exactly. to hear what you, what you said about that, because it doesn't, it doesn't quite pass the old, um, the Bechdel test, which is when, no. um, for those who don't know, it's when you have at least two women who interact in a film about something other than a man. And the women have to be yeah. named. So two named female characters have to talk about something which isn't to do in any way about a man. Now, we see two female named female characters kind of interacting almost almost silently, but we don't know what they're saying, but we assume it's about the two guys in the house and how they're going to uh, take over the place, basically. But like you say, though, there is, would, could you class it a feminist film? I would not be classing it as a feminist film. Um, I wouldn't be classing it as an anti-feminist film or a sexist film by any means, but I wouldn't say that its agenda is to be feminist, nor do I think it achieved that. But I, I do really applaud it for having more female characters than male, but I do sort of feel like that is um, a little bit to do with maybe the budget. They don't mm-hmm. have a lot of characters to start with. And then at the end of the day, the fact that um, all the robots that um, Nathan has made are fembots. So I don't think that that's necessarily a feminist thing, but I still find, I still believe that that's quite a big achievement to have such a, large female cast compared to your male cast but um yeah it's not a feminist film because of everything else it does unfortunately yeah there are a few other things i don't know um it's the bar is so low with that test like we're asking for crumbs and yet we still can't get it so uh, yeah the best test, test is un- unbelievable. Not because it ex- well, yeah, well, because it exists, but it's the fact that, like you say, the the criteria for passing it is literally have two women with names talking about something which isn't men. It's like you'd, you'd think that you could probably name thousands you of. You would films, think that that would happen all the time, but there really isn't many films out there, and I can't think of any. And I know I've looked into this previously. There really isn't many films out there that have this. Um, and I I agree. I don't think it's a feminist film, but I. Like you say, the fact that there are so many female characters in, yes, they're fembots, but you know, Alex Gardner's still gone there, and there and there are other reasons for having females, of course, which we'll mention. But uh, also, I mean, the females do outsmart and play the men like absolute fiddles, uh, which is always good to see. But again, you don't see any interactions between them. But we didn't need to see the machinations. We didn't really, did we need to see Kyoko and Ava having? that conversation of how they're going to do it, or would we rather see it play out silently? Which is, again, counterintuitive to the Bechdel test, because what we get is two female characters coming out, you know, victorious, if you will. But did we need to, on the other hand, did we need to see them planning it? Exactly. I liked how they did it silently, and they're kind of like, you know, they're on the same wavelength, whether that's via programming or just through other means. I, I, I really enjoyed how they played that scene out. 
that's why I would I don't take issue with the fact that this film isn't a feminist film, nor that it doesn't pass the very, very lame Bechdel test, because it, it wouldn't add to the movie at all. You know, a lot of the times having more women characters, having more varied and realistic conversations between women and non-binary people and people of color would add to the film. But with this one, I just genuinely don't think that it needed it. And that just goes back to the fact that it is so paired back and so focused on those characters. So I don't take issue with it at all. Yeah. No, it's fair enough. Um, Another thing we mentioned as well that, well, we're talking about AI and the fembots and, Having that many female characters, we find out that Ava was created for Caleb, essentially, based on mm. his search engine history and also his pornographic records as well. So what what is he like? What is he like looking at? So General Hux likes looking at Swedish ladies. Well, General Hux likes looking at um, Kylo Ren. That's oh, <laughs> when he's a mile wide like that, who wouldn't? Um, yeah, no. So he's based on his porno re- pornographic record. So he, she was specifically based for him to be attracted to. I just find it so interesting that he's really into women who look like little girls. Well, um, that's it, isn't it? It's the, it's the AI and the sex bots, which I know you wanted to mention. Yeah, I just. So I was reading back on my essay and basically, and I think this is why Ex Machina comes up so high for me, not because it answers these questions. And I want to clarify that I do not have the answers to these questions. <laughs> I just have an undergrad in film, um, but that it raised the questions for me. And I think that those questions have stuck with me because I watch a lot of stuff with AI in them. Mm-hmm. And it was that question of consent. I mean, Nathan has created these robots and he has said he wants to make them sexual because where's the fun in not having them sexual so i can say all right yeah he's he's a heterosexual male we assume um and so he wants to make something that's sexy that's going to help him create it eventually one day we'll make a whole bunch of other robots right but it's this issue of consent to me that he has made a sexual being and he is sexually attracted to them, but there is no way for these beings to consent mm-hmm. to what is happening to them. And that's on so many levels. Like we don't think that they can consent either because it was built into them to just agree with what's happening, which is a level of taking away their consent, or because they don't have the programming to speak in Kyoko's um situation which again takes away that consent she has no way of saying I don't want this but however we take away that consent in some situation there is someone getting off with something that cannot consent and that to me is very very uncomfortable I don't have the answers to what that means or how that's going to affect us in the future but should we have AI we are going to have sexual interactions with them and I think that that I don't know whether we need policies around that but what I want to know is what kind of person is interested in having sex with something that can't say no? Yeah, it's a bit, we've moved on from blow up dolls, haven't we, in this sense? Yeah, in, in the sense you want something that thinks, moves, talks, acts like a human, mm-hmm. but you take away that very human aspect of saying no to something like sex. And I think that that is a problem to me. You want it to to be as human as possible, but without being able to say no and that that really haunts me I think that 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 was the moment where I was like this movie doesn't have the answers I don't have the answers but I want to keep thinking about this because it's going to keep coming up it's an interesting point like the whole subservient being because like you say the whole point of the Turing test was so that Caleb could 
basically say, yes, Ava would pass as human in a human world. Like in the real world, people wouldn't be able to tell the difference. However, there are drawbacks. There are things holding her back. As you say, consent. Nathan mentioned he built pleasure points in her, and he's clearly tested them out as he did, as he does with Kyoko. So it's not like he he, he hasn't you know gone there and done it himself. So that's where that kind of came into play. And all, like I say, all Just- the. All the AI are subservient female. So what is that trying to say? One does certainly try to fight back, but you know what happens to her? She gets essentially killed and thrown back into the into the closet. And they mention as well, like it's the magician's assistant thing. You have the attractive female to divert from the sleight of hand happening, which is what's mentioned in the film. But it is a it is an interesting point, and it's one that do you know what I mean? If you ever got a chance to speak to Alex Garland, like yeah, what he what he would say, but not to put him on the spot or to try and um, uh, what's the word imprison him to give us an answer, but just to find out like was was that a uh, was that something you did purposely or was it something you didn't realize was happening or was it just something that became because the story naturally went that way? But it yeah. does also also play into the character of Nathan as well. Nathan believes like he can be this pioneer and he even says like Caleb says, you know, you're on the level of gods, which. Nathan takes that yeah. to say he is a god. But, you know, he doesn't see the issue in this. Like you say, when he gives that speech about no one's born straight and nobody's born this, that and the other, he's kind of t- playing god playing God, and doesn't see that there are repercussions to this. So what does that say about Nathan? Because we are led to believe that he's the bad guy or the sinister guy. But then towards the end, you're kind of thinking, actually, what was his? Was he just trying to, you know, advance technology? But then you get things like this, which are like the grey area. It was like... You're attempting to advance technology, but at the same time, also, there's this as well. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think we can say that probably Nathan is a bad guy, but he's not the bad guy, you Mm -hmm. know? Like, he's probably not the kind of guy I would want to be left alone with in a dark room. I'd feel very unsafe. Um, But at the same end, I don't think he has very sinister world ruining life ruining um plans for anyone i don't know i think that that's probably more dangerous than what we see in those silicon valley people is that Mm. they don't have these sinister intentions they just have a very loose moral code and they'll do what they need to do to get what they want and i think that nathan really portrays that and you know he's the What's his name? Jeff Bezos to me. Yeah, yeah. He's Jeff Bezos to me. I don't think I hate Jeff Bezos, and if I had the chance, I would eat him. That's a threat, Jeff. If you're <laughs> listening, um, but I don't think that he ever set out to destroy economies and livelihoods and small businesses and stuff like that. I don't think he ever set out to do that. And I think that that's a bigger issue is that he just, you know, he wanted what he wanted and he didn't really care what the repercussions were. And that's what Nathan is to me. Yeah, the collateral he damage. He just wanted a sexy That's it. Yeah, Nathan, yeah. Nathan he, I don't think he's in any way naive because he clearly isn't. He knows what he's doing. But yeah, like you say, I think, and then with Jeff Bezos and with all these people, like you say, he probably didn't set out to get this far down. But when you get to a certain point, I think it is that, like he said, when as soon as Caleb mentioned the word God to him, his eyes lit up. He's like, and then he changed his quote to basically say, I am a god. I think he, that's what kind of level Nathan's at now, where he's, he's by himself, like, almost like the mad scientist, where mm. he's almost so far gone down a rabbit hole that things like, you know, little things like consent, who needs to worry about that when I'm creating AI, which is more, which is exactly. going to go on to rule the he's world? Like, 
He's like, I am on a path to create this thing. He, he says, you know, it's inevitable. It's already going to be created. It's just a matter of when yeah. or by who or whatever. Um, and so he said, you know, I will be that person. And that's that's fine. That's to say, you know, I want to make sure that I'm in control of this situation. But if you are saying, I want to be the one in control of this situation, I want to make sure that, that AI gets created the right way. And so you have that very, very special opportunity to say, okay, well, I know that I'm going to be the first person to create this. And I know that potentially if I don't, someone else will. So I should do it the right way. And I should perhaps, you know, consider some of these issues. Get a committee together. Yeah, people who can discuss it. I thought the God thing was very interesting because I don't think I ever picked up on it. I don't think I ever picked up on necessarily that he thinks he's God. Mm -hmm. And yet I read this essay that I wrote and I literally start with a quote about God. (laughs) So I clearly on some level was thinking about it, but I just thought it was interesting. I want to bring it up because um, if anyone here is doing a film degree or is thinking of doing a film degree, um, you can pass by starting your essays with Spy Kids 2 quotes. It (laughs) is a thing. I'm pretty sure I got an A plus on this essay and I start and that's the thing you've got to just pick the right quote kids okay so you wouldn't hear this quote and think it's necessarily by Steve Buscemi in Spy Kids 2 but it is and the quote is do you think God stays in heaven because he too lives in fear of what he's created and is um, Steve Buscemi basically saying that he's created these um I think it was dinosaurs. I honestly haven't seen Spy Kids 2 in forever. Um, And so he hides himself away a little bit like Nathan does. He hides himself away in this isolation um, because he done fucked up, basically. And then I think I quote, yeah, later on, I say that, um, so Nathan appears to vastly underestimate the depth of his this very human desire of escape um, Mm -hmm. by Ava, or even believe that her intelligence could surpass his. And then I said, much like God, Nathan is content to be the omnipotent creator of life, but what he giveth, he cannot so easily taketh away. And so on some level, I was thinking about God. (laughs) I don't know why. Just like a big word set, it's great. (laughs) I like to just pepper them in. Um, But yeah, so kids, just pick the right quote. And you'll get away with it. I've seen snippets um, of Morgan's work, and it's it's interesting where some of these influences have come from. But hell, if it helps you pass, do it. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that issue of consent, like that, keeps that's probably why I love this movie so much. It keeps coming back to me anytime I watch AI, mm-hmm. because whenever you watch AI stuff, it almost is exclusively attractive women. Mm-hmm. who are created into AI. Yep. And that says a lot to me um, that obviously, like, so I am a painter and I refuse to paint men because men are ugly. So I get it, okay? I get it, guys. Like, women are hot and they're beautiful and they're wonderful to create. But what are the implications of us making this, like, subservient uh creation that has to do everything we say can feel like a human being and have the emotions of a human being but still has to do everything we say whether that's sexual or not that says a lot about how we treat women as well and mm-hmm. what we think of women they're sexy but they should do what i say yeah you, you, you could look good but as long as as long as long as i wear the trousers you know that then that's fine mm. yeah there's a very it's almost like and then a very at the same time, you have to look good while doing it you have to look good for me because you are also something for me to enjoy visually yes and like caleb uh, nathan says you know there's no point 
in having it that isn't sexy where's the fun in that and I get it I totally get it but in the same level it's weird it's very weird to me yeah Kyoko is extremely like silently submissive in the amount of time there's a great scene where um Caleb is in the shower he's just he's in the shower and he's fantasizing about meeting up with Ava in the in the in the woodlands outside and kissing her and at the same time um Nathan is is uh starting to I so I, I use air quotes seduce Kyoko um at the same time that's going on and as you can tell, like she's putting up no resistance, resistance or anything like that. And already by this time, we know that something odd's going on. So mm, it's, yeah. it's very true. Like you say, it's you look good. You look good whilst you're doing what I say. And when I want it, you're going to give it to me. Yeah. You don't have to worry about foreplay or whether your partner's in the mood or how their day's been or that reciprocal relationship. And even with one night stands or purely transactional sexual encounters, like with... Uh, like a prostitute or something like that, even then there's still a case of you having to consider the other person's feelings in that, in that case, unless you're a true psychopath, um, which is a problem in and of itself, obviously. So um, unless you're a psychopath or like a rapist, I guess you have to consider the other person in that sexual transaction, no matter how that transaction came about, but with an AI, you don't. And I think that that, either means that we all end up becoming rapists and psychopaths or it means we have to take a really seriously hard look at why we want to have sex with an AI. Is it purely like, all right, I'm trying to get myself off and this is a masturbatory device or am I enjoying it because it's a real like living, breathing human that can't say no. Mm -hmm. So one day we will consider it. But Kyoko brings up a lot of thoughts for me because her character is just it says a lot I think and I don't know whether it says a lot about Alex Garland or it says a lot about Nathan and I don't think I've decided yet but hers is a deeply racist character the way she is treated in this narrative is Mm -hmm. deeply racist it's a very um I don't I don't use this term that often anymore just because I'm not writing essays every day but um it's orientalism, which is the idea of like Asian women are very beautiful, but also very deeply sexual beings who always want to have sex with white men, basically, and that they're very subservient people naturally, which obviously we know is wrong, but it's something that came about um, sort of, I think it was the 1800s. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. And it's continued. And I don't know whether Kyoko's character is a commentary on orientalism and the way in which the future of AI might end up being um, like it's him trying to say, you know, we, we do consider robots and Asians to be subservient and this will end up being the case or whether he's saying this is wrong and Nathan's a bad person (laughs) for doing this. And I don't know whether I've come to the answer with it, but her not being able to speak um, and being the servant and always being very scantily clad, and then her other role pretty much being a sex bot sits very, very uncomfortably with me, being that she is the only non-white character. I mean, I know that um, Oscar 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 is not white, sorry, but um, his character, I think, presents as such. We don't really get any other information from him. She's the only one that presents as Mm non-white in the characters, and I think that that being that she's also the character that she is just sits very uncomfortably with me. 
Yeah, I'd like to think that this was a purposeful idea to, yeah. to highlight and expose the stereotypes within society and media, those of which you've just um, presented. I'd like to think it is, because it's done so forcefully. Like you mentioned, like the, the scene I can think of uh, Kyoko, she unbuttons her top for Caleb without command. She dances without command. She doesn't talk, she just serves the man. She's laying in the background while Nathan works. Once, one time she's fully naked, and like you mentioned, other times she's scantily clad. But the question is, yeah, why? What's the outcome? Is this a was this a positive or negative representation? If it was intentional, what was the end game? You know, what was Alex Garland trying to yeah. say? And again, that's that's not us trying to give the answers. It's more like it's because we don't have the answers. But I like I'd like to think it's a purposeful idea. But was it? Me too. Do you think it, people would look at that? People who may have suffered this and think, do you know what? That was a positive representation, or would they look at it and think? You know what? No, it's just perpetuating a stereotype even more. Yeah, and I can't speak for the Asian community, of course, yeah. especially not the Japanese community, but no Asian community. But I feel like, and I do have very um, hopeful feelings that he did it intentionally mm-hmm. to say, look, Nathan's a bad guy and he's also a racist probably and this is how we often treat Asian women um, and that's bad. But what I think he failed at doing is really driving that idea home if that was what he was doing. I think he started off being like, yeah, I'm going to make her look really, really like um, have really defined Asian features. She'll be wearing like kind of hyper-sexualized kimonos. Um, Nathan's going to mention that she can't speak because she doesn't speak English, blah, blah, blah. But he didn't really drive home the idea that like um, this is – we we feel bad for her for sure but we feel bad for Ava too um we should be thinking an extra layer with Kyoko we should be saying okay well that was wrong yeah like on deeper levels but I think what makes me feel like he didn't think about it that long is just the way that Kyoko and Ava are so different when you look at the at Ava but also at the other um the what the pre avers mm-hmm. the other the, models the, the previous avers in the versions, scary room yeah. um none of them feel extremely hyper orientalismed like kyoko does so mm-hmm. kyoko is the only one who feels like she is you know a different ethnicity different culture different background different everything else um but she's also the only one who is not we don't know whether she has she's an AI, you know, whether she has yeah, yeah. emotional capacity or intelligence. Whereas the more white ones, he's he's working on those to mm-hmm. have the smarts and the feelings and everything like that. But Kyoko, it's not worth it. And that makes me feel like maybe Alex Garland didn't think about it for long enough. There's a few moments. I know there's, there's one moment in, uh, in the f- film where um, I think she's watching Nathan work or something and she got all... It's when Caleb tells Ava exactly why he's there, like to test her. And at the same time, it Kyoko opens her eyes and starts listening. And when they're looking yeah. at the Jackson Pollock painting, it almost looks like she's taking it in herself and understanding and the emotion of that. Um, yeah, there's a scene with her in the hallway where she's sitting with her shoes off and her head's down. Yeah, yeah. And you could say, oh, yeah, she's just, you know, saving energy or whatever robots do. But it's the fact that she's got her her shoes off. She's taken her shoes off. She's sitting in this way that you might do if you yourself were feeling very upset. Like it doesn't a bad feel very robotic. Almost, yeah. yeah, it feels very human. And so we do see Alex Garland creating this, like, idea of, well, is she – 
does she have, you know, artificial intelligence? Was this, you know, Nathan's plan? Does he know about it? But we never really give her that um, victorious ending the way we do with Ava, which is a bit sad. Makes sense to the narrative. But I just think I would have liked a little bit more purpose with that choice for her to be the only woman of color um, in the movie and then to be the silent servant and the sort of sex symbol. I think if we flipped the switch, um, it would have been very interesting, but we will never know. No, I would love to know what Alex Garland was thinking. Cause I do, I do believe that it was an intentional um, idea, uh, op- choice, but like you say, whether or not that was d- d- written or driven home correctly or, or well enough, is is up is, is up for the balance? What and that's one of the things about this film is that to some, it will mean this will mean something different. And that's why I was saying, right, was it a positive or negative representation? Was it uh, put across correctly? I'd love to have. I'd love yeah. to find out. Alice Garland went and well, I mean, uh, the actress went. Oh, to, to sit and, and chat with her. I would how good. love that. I keep saying it in the hope that you might be listening. Uh, but then she went on to play Caitlin <laughs> in La La Land, so she did quite well. And you took talk about Ava actually. She kind of she she she's our fa- main focus. Um, Alicia Vikander, who I think was excellent in her, I think she's really really good in this. And mm. I particularly like I think it's session five when Ava is testing Caleb and she she asks him some questions and she can tell him he's lying. So she's like, "What's your favorite color? What's your earliest memory? Are you a good person?" And then she drops a bomb and says, "What's going to happen to me if I fail your test? Mm. Will I be switched off?" And she's questioning why people would test to see if she she would be switched off, Caleb. If you fail a test, would you be switched off? And she's like, well, no. And then she's like, she wants to be with Caleb. Do you want to be with me? We don't understand the answer to that. But when she, the, she starts turning the screw now in hindsight, where she's like, what's going to happen if I fail my test? It's almost like the kind of like the damsel in distress, almost like, save me. You know, if I, what if I fail? They're going to yeah. kill me. But we know that there's something more behind it. Um, and that also leads yeah. that leads to, to another issue as well, like, or, or, or topic point is that how, how, intelligent did Nathan think Ava was and to what extent would she go to get out yeah and I think that sits with me for the longest um something that I mull over a lot when I think about ex machina is we know that Nathan thinks he's the smartest guy in the Mm -hmm. room we know that he thinks he's this godlike person um and yet he's set out with the intention of making something that is as human as possible so it really is bizarre to me that he would think that she would never get out. So I, on some level, I, I think he thought she would be successful and she would get out and that he would die because I just don't, I don't see how he could think he's so smart and yet not be smart enough to create something that could escape, that could yeah. outwit him with so many variables involved. And she's a sexy woman and he's bringing in this guy and he's serving her up on a platter. So now he's got two very smart people working together against him and for some reason he really thought <laughs> yeah well, we they were going to get out you also have Kyoko like I say that that uh, unspoken look they share Ava and Kyoko was are they also is she is Kyoko is there more to her, her than we know has she been suffering this abuse essentially for so long that when the time comes she knows that she can go to Ava to get mm. the, to, to have her revenge on Nathan and I really think sisterhood. the sisterhood, I sit against, against that bastard Nathan. Um, but I think he did mm. know. because I think he even alluded yeah. to it by saying actually at the beginning of the film, he says um, in decades to come, humans are going to be redundant. I think he actually says, you know, they're going to look back us, on us. AI are going to look back on us the same way we look at fossil skeletons. 
an upright ape living in dust with crude language and tools all set for extinction. So he knows that in time, the AI will mm. take over. So I think he knew that the time will mm. come when she, but whether he knew she, she would kill him because later on in the film, she does say, how does it feel to know you've created something that hates you? And Jade, the model, the, uh, the version AI model who, is the one she's mm. screaming like why won't you let me out and she smashes the glass and her hand her arm gets knocked off he she also had those same feelings so some of the ai were creating a negative vibe towards him and he must have known that eventually like someone's going to break through and it's, whether it's going to end well for him or not i don't know if he knew that but he had to know that she was going to get out something about and i wish I, I mean, I don't want the movie to do it because I think the movie is great the way it is. But I wish I knew what he was like before um, he started creating AI. Because when I watched this film again this time around, it read very much like a guy who is semi-suicidal. Mm-hmm. His character seems so ready to just say, okay, I've created what I want. There's nothing left for me. He's drinking, drinking so home, much. Yeah. He is drinking so much um he's like he's looking after his body but it seems almost like a habit to him like so that he can defeat the hangover the next day um just so much of the way he acts around people um the isolation can't be good for him he seems like he's at this breaking point mentally um i don't think he would commit suicide but i think he's gotten to the point where he's like well if she kills me like congrats i've done what i set out to do and that I'm done like there's no point in me living anyway like I I think the first times around I was like yeah he's just so so up himself he doesn't reckon she'll be able to defeat him but then watching it again this week I thought shit he wants her to do it he's he's done with life like he seems very defeated um to me anyway so don't know I would be interested to see if he was always like that or yeah it's a good story, actually. It's a good. It's a good question because you know, when we see him, he's boxing and hungover, but then he's also just trying to get rid of any awkwardness with Caleb. And he even says, "You know, look, if you don't want to do the test, we can just drink beer and shoot pool for the next week." It's almost where he's just like I don't, that kind of like, even if if you don't want to do it, stay, and at least we can just hang out. And, and almost he's like you need someone to hang out for with human interaction. Yeah, yeah. And he is so isolated, and there's just no way this this has been good for his mental health. I don't care how mentally healthy someone is, if you are left to your own devices in a very isolated situation for as long as we imagine he has been doing it. I just can't imagine the mental repercussions of that. He, there's no way he's come out of this um, a better person. <laughs> it's no, just not yeah. possible. He's physically and mentally yearning for human interaction or something or some vice. One of my favourite scenes. It's a little one. Favorite. One of the ones I stick out is um, towards the beginning. It's Caleb sneaking around the house for the first time, the apartment, sorry, the facility for the first time, and he finds a phone. And he's kind of picked it up and Nathan's behind him, just slumped on the sofa drinking and he catches him and he gives that great line of, you know, when he's talking about Ghostbusters, he's like, you know, Ghostbusters, a ghost gives Dan Aykroyd oral sex. And um, at that moment, Nathan, when we first meet him, he's kind of like slightly like, like say intimidating to Caleb. He's boxing, he's drinking, he's like a health freak or whatever. But this is the first time he really comes across as sinister. The way he just stares at mm. Caleb, he never loses his sight of Caleb. He's always staring at him. He's got he's got a six pack in front of him. He's clearly hammered. He's sitting by himself yeah. in the dark, just just there with his own thoughts. 
that's the first time we really see the other side of Nathan. And what I will say is this film, like you've said as well, wastes absolutely no time. It doesn't mess around. From Caleb winning the competition, immediately he's in a he's in a he's in a helicopter. They're like, this guy owned, when do we get into this state? He's been there for two hours, right? He's won a competition. Wherever he's going, this guy owns everything we've we've seen. Um, yeah, it doesn't waste any time in getting to where we need it to be. And even a shot like this, where we first see Nathan, and then within five minutes, actually, he's not. Maybe he isn't what we're potentially setting up to be. He is sinister, and that's what raises the questions we've mentioned. Is he actually bad? Because the film kind of makes you want to feel bad. And then at the end, it almost I think it almost wants you to feel some sort of sympathy for Nathan. Yeah, but. It plays yeah. with your emotions really well, this yeah. film. I think it's it's like, oh, you feel this. Oh, you feel this now. And that that is really good. And that's why I think I keep reiterating. When I say I wish I'd seen something or I knew something, I don't really wish that they changed this movie. Mm-hmm. I think that this movie is the way it's supposed to be. And I take issue with some stuff, but that doesn't mean I want it to be changed. So, um, yeah, because I think that they do everything very deliberately, but in the perfect flow and timing. So, yeah, I just, I love it so much. (laughs) I take so many issues with it, but I love it so much. But even the issues can be ambiguous to a point because we're discussing them and we don't know the answers fully. It's not, it's not quite so cut and dry apart from maybe like the Fembot one. Um, there yeah. are things which are kind of like, is that what he meant? Or is it just uh, like a misdirection here? I, and I, love here? I think, if, I don't think I've, I will ever watch a movie where I'll be like, there was nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I can comfortably sit here and say, well, the issues I do have with this film are ones that make me think. Yeah, They're not issues where I say this was wrong and they shouldn't have done it at all. They're ones where I sit back and I go, was that deliberate? How could we do this better? How does this make me consider the future of AI and I don't I despite having a degree in film I tend not to go really deep with movies I tend to just enjoy them but this is one that I could sit there for hours and just like take bite and bite out of it and just enjoy the experience good or bad in different moments it's just wonderful yeah well before before I go into any other like cool moments it's a valid point on a filmic level it's ex brilliantly acted it looks it looks beautiful. I mean, that's that's another thing. I mean, it, it's Rob Hardy is the cinematographer here. It sounds it sounds it's great. So the, music, the music by Ben Salisbury and uh, Portishead's Jeff Barrow, so very good. The story is great. The engagement levels are high. The questions that you're left with afterwards. There's mm. an awful lot going for this film that makes you want to rewatch it to almost to study it. And then, like you say, the other yeah. things, even like the grey areas, which raise some moral issues and some slightly dodgy questions they're in there and it's like you say nothing's ever perfect regardless of what people think nothing's ever really perfect and there's a lot Mm. going on so before i just yeah i think it's i think it's something exceptional point there that's something we have to mention before we talk about the film more is that the film itself as a whole is so well made and it's written very well even if the think the missteps we may have mentioned the story itself and and the dialogue i think it's great it's really good. I think it's one of those films where you feel very in the film. Like yeah. all of the surroundings, the sounds, the dialogue, the characters, you feel very in it. You don't feel like you're on the other side of a screen. You feel very immersed. And I love that. And I, I really love the cinematography because it is this 
it's like what my guided meditations are telling me to picture, <laughs> except they're never telling me I'm going to get locked in this room and die here potentially because an AI has escaped. And I think that's a wonderful mix of the the very meditative, relaxing atmosphere of dripping water and rustling leaves and flowing rivers and concrete mixed with, you know, wood and stuff like that which is like my ideal and I think mm. that that's beautiful and when you think about sci-fi I often think of the cinematography because I think that sci-fi is one that does it very very well yeah. and I I don't know whether that's because Space Odyssey is considered some sort of like god of science fiction <laughs> but um, it's just it's just such a wonderful genre to enjoy when it's done really well when it's done poorly it's fun to enjoy for the laughs but when it's done really well it's just it's it's this masterpiece you could almost take clips from the film blow them up and put them in a frame and it would look perfect and I love that and that is probably the only thing I love about Space Odyssey is that it's got some beautiful cinematography every shot is like a piece of artwork too bad it's a piece of shit. Yeah, I'm not also not that caught on 2001 either. Um, but yeah, cinematography is also what the scene evokes as well. What that image mm. evokes. And like you've just said, it evokes very different feelings and um, thoughts for yourself. And that's why the film works. Cause again, you think sci-fi what's got, what's going on down below is fa- fairly sci-fi, you know, within the facility mm. with the, of a key card isn't science fiction, but you know, which leads into different, um, different rooms yeah. with different, um, no windows, no windows. And, and, and it, all the, all the technology you'd expect is downstairs, but upstairs it's a completely different world. Almost. It's like and, a meditation retreat. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think it, 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 the way the film sets it up to start with is great. And the, the humor in this film is done. It's few and yeah. far between, but it's done well. I mean, the, the the only real laugh in this film is when Caleb's keycard image is printed at the beginning of the film, when he's kind of looking into the um into the buzzer, and it takes his picture, that. and he's like, eh. <laughs> "That's it. that." I found that actually to be hilarious. I totally forgot about that. And then the other laughs are almost kind of like WTF moments, or kind yeah. of maybe like creepy laughs. But they oh, don't make you laugh for no reason. Yeah, it's everything not, yeah. is deliberate. They don't try to lighten the, the moment too much yeah. by chucking in a, a laugh. But um, I guess one of the main things to mention is obviously um, the end of the film, but I'll mention that shortly. But the crux of the film is Caleb and Ava's relationship. And I I think that's very well, I think that's really well done. The way that in hindsight, you can see that there was a manipulative side to it. And really Caleb is drawn in because this is essentially his fantasy woman. This is the woman he dreams at, and the whole time he's almost shot as like this gawk-eyed uh, dribbler. The guy just dribbling at her, like when she goes to get dressed, and he's like, "Don't look at me," you know. She says, "Don't, don't watch me." He still can't help himself. He's watching her, and he knows what's you coming. Want to and shake him and be like, "Grow up!" I know, yeah. And then you find out why, of course. Get he's it like, together. He's, he's, he's spent his life beating his meat over this woman, <laughs> and now he's in front of her, you know, huxing this himself. Childlike, non-consent. It's just weird. That's it. Um. But then obviously but, it goes on, just that she she becomes, she starts challenging him and he becomes almost uncomfortable in that role. And I just wanted to ask you about like the focal point of their relationship in the film. I I love it, but it it is, it's like watching a teenage boy fall in love with his babysitter and her, she's just taking him for a ride. Yeah, she's yeah. just like, yeah, this is hilarious. I'm going to tell my boyfriend about this later. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, he, she turns up at his house and she's like, hi, uh, you have to go to bed at 
eight and uh, your parents are going to pay me $20 an hour. And he's like, oh my God, hi, um, how are you? Um, do you want to watch this? This is my favorite movie. It's Fight Club. It's really deep. That's it. Um, and then he just spends like three hours trying to impress her. And then she just plays along with it. And then she goes home to her boyfriend and she's like, it was the dumbest Get shit this ever. Dope. He believed everything I said. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's just very, I don't know whether it's because I've watched this film so many times trying to nitpick it, but it seems very obvious what she's doing to me. Mm-hmm. And yet he's just like, oh, I got to help the little robot get out. <laughs> so mean to her, he whipped up her picture. Like, <laughs> As soon as that film Get goes on, you can tell, man. It's it's not um, to me when I first saw it. Again, that the, the, one of the moments um, I'll mention later on, and kind of the things I have slight issue with. I'll save that to the end, not to create tension, but just because. But to start with, I was like, okay, where's this going to go? But yeah, the by by kind of halfway, you kind of start to say, I never, you know, I didn't envisage the ending happening the way it did, but I knew that there was something going on here, and especially when she started turning the screw on him, started asking questions about him and probing and probing and that session five i think which i mentioned when she's like what's going to happen to me you know almost like you can't let you can't let the bad man do this to me and because she knows damn well that you know caleb's going to ride on his horse like i said on his stallion and save the day or so he thinks white knight yeah yeah and i think that's very interesting i think oh i could talk about her character for days because she is she is on so many levels, exactly what men want out of women. And I say men in a general sense. Obviously, everyone likes things different and everything like that. But she is she is essentially brand new. She's never met another guy other than her father figure. Mm-hmm. So you're already – Yeah, she's virginal, she's clean, and you were already the only guy that she will have met. So y- y- she has no other expectations of what men look like or act like other than her father. So wonderful. She is childlike in the sense that she looks like a child with her face, but also because she has that inexperience and also because you don't know how much she knows about the world. She mm-hmm. knows facts, but you don't know how much she knows about emotions and relationships and everything like that. And on the other sense, she is dedicating her time and her attention to you. You're really the only interesting thing in her life. She doesn't have a career or hobbies or interests or anything outside of you visiting her for X amount of hours a day to talk. So she's, and and at the end of the day, she probably can't consent when you want to have sex with her. So there's yes. so much like, like of her being this perfect woman. And then on the underside of it, I can tell that she hates men. <laughs> She's probably definitely a lesbian. Um, and she hates men and she will, and she knows them. She knows men because they're the only ones she's ever known. Yeah. And she's known the worst of men because she's only ever known Nathan. And so she knows what she needs to do to manipulate them. She doesn't want you as a man, but you are so blindsided by the fact that she is the perfect woman that you don't consider that she fucking hates your guts. <laughs> Yeah, she even said that to him at the end, and he's he's almost like it's almost like a revelation to him, to Nathan. Yeah, he's never considered that she's. Yeah, I don't know. It just it, she is created to be the perfect woman, and she is the perfect woman. And I love that, even though she's the perfect woman, she hates men, yeah. <laughs> and she wants to do everything to probably kill all the men in her life. Um, and I love, I really love that about her, and I think that 
that's why I love watching the dynamic with her and Caleb, because to me, it's very obvious that she is taking him for a ride from day mm-hmm. one. There's no way that she's just drawing pictures every day because it's fun. She's drawing pictures because he wants to hang it on his fucking fridge and be like, oh, look what she drew at kindy today. Isn't she the cutest? That's and then she bubble. watches... Yeah, and then and then it gets ripped up, and that gives him that white savior complex, yep. and he runs in on his horse and saves her, and and he's just like eating off her hand. It's wonderful, and so ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's not. It, I like the way it's done because Caleb immediately realizes he can watch her sleep or even watch her yeah. inter- watch her like on her day to day routine, if you will, engagements. He can watch her sleep, and you think that she notices, and then she says, "I hope you're watching me." Um, he he then goes to his room to watch her undress, like when she's got dressed for him, which is a nice, again very again a nice sort of like sensual, tasteful moment when she gets dressed and puts a wig on and that. And he's like, "Wow!" And then he goes to watch her undress, and there's a close up of him on his Adam's apple, and he's gulping, and he reaches out to touch the screen. And um, he when Nathan mentions that there will be models after Ava, that she's just a version. Again, it's it's like it's like someone's held a gun to his head. He's you can tell that the anger is bubbling up in him because they, they make him out to be the puppy dog, basically. It's like they, they yeah. want you to believe that Ava is a naive, virginal uh, woman, you know, who's got no experience in life, let alone men. But it turns out actually that the extremely intelligent programmer and the man of all the experience is, is just like a, a kid in the candy store at the end of it. It's like gulping and yeah. trying, to touch, trying to touch the goodies. Um, he probably thinks he can get it and she's even goes to mind. He's like, are you attracted to me? I'm attracted to you. This is what I wear on my first date and stuff like that. Uh, but I really like their interactions and there's a great bit of foreshadowing in one of their, I think it's a fourth session when he tells a story about, uh, she tells a story about someone called Mary who's been locked away in black and white and then she goes outside to experience and to see colour. It's great foreshadowing which of course is what happens at the end. Mm. But we also find out that Ava's causing the power cuts. She's re- reversing the power when she charges yeah. batteries. And the very first session, she she she, she, uh, dim, she cuts the power and she's like, right, dude, listen up now, dickhead. Don't trust Nathan. He ain't your mate. Don't trust him or anything he says. Immediately, the seeds are sown. This is his perfect woman. The way she, the way, the way she looks at him and the way he has kind of time alone with her. And then yeah. she's telling him, look, that guy's not your friend. Me and you, we, I need yeah, help. me and you, you, need to save you can me. save me. Um, it starts really, really, really early on. And again, without, I'll mention the end shortly, but or we can get into that. But the build up to that, the build up to the end, when we find out the big reveal is done so very well. And they do, and Donald Gleason has a great job of selling himself as the, as the wide eyed puppy he kind of thinks that, you know, this could, this could, this could be great for me. And, Alicia yeah. Vikander is excellent. I think she's an excellent, excellent actress. Anyway, Academy Award-winning actress. Let's not forget. And Donald Gleeson, I think, is an actor, actor who gets, who's always very decent in the roles he's given. Apart from when he's yeah. made to play an idiot in the Last Jedi, but I think he's great in most of the roles. Even things like Little Stranger, which I wasn't a fan of the film, but I think he's always very decent. But the two of them are great, and how they, I how, think they play off really well. As, as that was about to say, their chemistry, if you will, and the way they play off, and the way she yeah. manipulates him, the way he just eats it all up. I think it's great. I just think it's his character. I, I, I wish, and I, I don't wish, as you know, but I wish his character wasn't a programmer because I think we all think of programmers as these geeky guys who maybe don't get a lot of women and mm-hmm. don't have a lot of experience with women. And I think that makes him an even easier target with Ava because he, it, she is created to be his perfect woman 
And he also probably doesn't get a lot of women being that he's a programmer. Yeah. So he's just very keen to to do whatever and believe whatever. And I think that that makes him very naive because he's there to do a Turing test and he knows he's there to do a Turing test. Whether he knows that that's not the point um, is not the problem. He knows that he's there to test whether she's true AI. So it kind of shocks me that he then falls for all of her tricks and then watches her while she's doing stuff because he should know if she's an AI, she's not sleeping. Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't need to sleep. She's not dreaming. It, she knows that you're watching. Even if you aren't watching, even if she doesn't know you're watching, she's got nothing else to do. She's yeah. stuck in a box. She's got nothing else to do. Why would she not dedicate all of her time to doing stuff that would make you like her or whatever. Like everything she does would be very deliberate to achieve something because she's got nothing else to do. You're watching her on like your TV being like, oh, wow, that's so sexy. She's she's undressing. She doesn't need to undress. She doesn't get uncomfortable. She doesn't like need to change into her PJs. She's doing this because she, if you're watching, you would enjoy this. And I think, and she's also, as we know, connected into the power mains. So she probably knows every time you turn on the TV to watch her, she probably gets a bit of a like Facebook notification telling her. So (laughs) to me, it feels like, hello, it's a Turing test. She is an AI. (laughs) Pay attention. You dim-witted fool. (laughs) And every time she does anything to be like, oh no, you need to save me. Yeah. I get that. He wants to save her, but also get a grip, dude. Like she's an AI. Like, She's got nothing else to do. What do you think is going to happen here, dude? Well, on that then, I guess leading into like the, the final third of the film where shit happens now, on that note you've just said, because we also find out, like we've mentioned, Caleb is the only reason he's bought there. He's he's not bought there for any reason other than his search history, basically. As we know, yeah. Nathan used Blue Book to um, basically scan every mobile phone or cell phone in the world to get their search to people's search engine histories. He can also use facial recognition on them and everything. So basically he's taken over the world, essentially the technology in the world. And um, he was handpicked basically because he could be a gullible sod, gullible idiot. And so do, did at any, did you at any point though, after everything we said, kind of feel like, do you know what? Caleb's been taken for an absolute ride here and I actually feel sorry for him because he was, te- he was, oh, I feel was, sorry for him almost immediately yeah, yeah, he was, in the film. Well, because of his, ID card. He's such a, a poor sod. But he's been given an AI, which is basically his fantasy woman. He's been taken out of his completely out of his comfort zone for what he thinks is a, the chance of a lifetime. Turns out he was picked because he's 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 like uh, Nathan thought this guy's basically an idiot. You know, I can. He, and unfortunately, he was right. Well, yeah, and that's he's what clever. But at the same time, he will go along with this because I'm going to present him with everything he wants. And obviously, with the ending, with the fact that he gets royally screwed over to in his own mind. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's basically the, the tragedy of Caleb. I just, um, I think it was a little bit, uh, everything for him, I felt bad for him and I kept wanting more from him. And I think that's why I'm so upset that he doesn't realise that she knows he's watching him because I at least expect that much from him as a programmer. You know, um, I date a programmer, so I expect very highly of him, yes, of <laughs> maybe course. too much. 
Um, but I, I would expect him to know that she would know that he's watching and that she's got nothing else to do being that she's an AI stuck in a box. And so I think I expect a little too much from him, but he's immediately the fool in the situation. He is never not this. And I know that that's very Donald Gleason, but he's um, very much this bumbling idiot when I watch him. Um, even in that moment when he reveals to Nathan, like, no, I actually got you drunk last night and did it already. I'm still like, ugh you're a fool yeah, <laughs> you're an turns, idiot because that's what she wanted you to do yeah, um, it turns out nathan was already clocked him anyway yeah and I, I i i feel bad because i expect more from his character and maybe a little bit more push from his character and i think and I, but i feel bad from him from the outgo because i think that he's living my nightmare i'd hate to be stuck in a house with my boss in the middle of nowhere <laughs> um no matter who my boss is i would hate that and um unfortunately his boss is a psychopath so it's just for me that is my worst nightmare and i feel bad for him. Oh, i hear that and they be towards the end of the film he finally has a moment where he cracks where we actually he's looking in the mirror and actually we can see that the mirror is reading his face so the whole time he's been tested he gets a razor blade and cuts his arm to basically see if he bleeds before smashing the glass with a punch and then we get to like the then we get to the finale where we, where um, Caleb tells Ava, "Look, I'm going to get you out tonight. You've got to shut the power down at 10 p.m. Got to shut it down." He's going to get Nathan pissed. Nathan, Nathan plays along. That's the moment I was like, "He knows about this because he's yeah, Caleb uncharacteristically gets the vodka out at 10 a.m. Whatever it is." And Nathan's yeah. like, "You know what? Don't fancy it. I'm, I'm, it's I'm detoxing." So obvious. Yeah, and I and I love that. And when the shit hits the fan, where. Um, Nathan, when Nathan calls him out, basically, and he sits him in, he sits him in the office, and he's like, "Look, I, I when I ripped up her picture, this is what I was saying to her. I also planted another battery-powered camera, so you fucks couldn't get rid of me." And it's that kind of moment where, you're like, Nathan, everything, even when Caleb thinks he's got the one up, he was always two steps behind. And from then on, the film goes into like full on, like, "This is it now." What did you think about the ending? So from the moment that. Uh, Nathan confronts Caleb and, t- and up, also knocks him out to the actual end of the film. What, how do you think that went? I I really liked it. I mean, I think that the ending, I don't know what I expected from the ending when I first watched mm-hmm. it, to be quite fair. I don't know whether I was expecting her to get out, for people to die. For I don't know what I was expecting, but I really enjoyed every minute of it. Like, I take no issue with that ending. I think it was done really beautifully. Yeah, I, I I I agree. I didn't. I was so engrossed in the story, and I mean that genuinely, that I had no idea that. Well, actually, what's going to happen is Ava is going to. Well, mm. I assume she's going to kill Nathan, or someone's or Kirk was going to kill Nathan. I kind of someone's got to kill Nathan. But this man cannot live. I had no idea that when she was getting, because she says to Caleb, "You know, wait here," and he's like, "Oh yeah, okay." And then she goes to, oh, yeah. and she goes to like peel someone's flesh off and gets herself dressed up. And it's and then, he's like getting his lucky condom out of his. Um, that's wallet it. Or whatever. He's licking his licking <laughs> his fingers and like sp- pushing his quiff back, his hair back, like making sure his face, <laughs> making sure there's nothing in his teeth. And she gets, you know, she gets fleshed up, and um, she puts on a white dress. And of course, the symbolism of the white dress can't be overstated, like the virginal yeah. white dress. But I didn't expect her to actually just completely. What silently she's waltzed out there. silently fuck him over completely. She didn't even look at him when and like and it's that's what I mean about the tragedy. Like Caleb expects at, least, at the very least probably doesn't expect yeah. to be locked in that room to 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 trade places. He really places. thinks that she likes him back. Yeah, and she even really thinks that, doesn't she? Like, w- w- will you be turned off if you fail a test? 
has he has she been has she been testing them the whole time? Because after Nathan's dead, we get the t- subtitle session seven. Well, Nathan's already dead. Was, was she testing them the entire time? Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's I think it's wonderful. I. I love the white dress thing. I love that she chose, you know, brunette hair. Um, brunette to me says a lot when someone chooses brunette um, because it, it's just not that sex symbol color. It's that um, very normal. I'm a very normal person color. Yeah, um, and I love that. Yeah. The white dress and her walking through the um, sort of the forest surrounded by green. Mm. Um and her name being Ava, which is similar to like Eve. So yes. she's this first woman escaping these terrible men who want nothing more from her than sex, basically. Um it, she's she's like Eve, but if Eve killed the shit out of Adam <laughs> <laughs> and ran off to go start her beautiful empire of human beings that are all women and there were no men ever again. That's what that me. scene is to me. And it's beautiful. And I'm probably very wrong, but I love it nonetheless. Because it, it is. It's this woman in this brunette hair. She's understated, but she's demure, white dress, names pretty much Eve, surrounded by, you know, the Garden of Eden, this lovely flourishing atmosphere, and she's ready to head out into the real world. And she doesn't look out of place, so to speak. Yeah, she doesn't look out of place in the real world. We don't know where she goes. And that's that's the ambiguity of the ending is what's her purpose? Does she just want to live? Does she want to go to that traffic intersection, like she said, and just people watch and live a normal life? Mm. Or is there more to this? I mean, what can, what realistically can she achieve? And I love the fact that we don't get an ending of her, like sitting in a boardroom, like chuckling to herself, like taking over a big corporation or something stupid like that. (laughs) I like the fact that it's just her, like, like I say, very demure in in a crowd of people in a busy city, which is what she did say. That's what she wants to do. So maybe it's yeah. the case that she just wants so she to was be free. The truth. Yeah. She just wants to be free. And even like, even when Kyoko and uh, Ava like, stab Nathan, even that's done like, very centrally. There's no like wild slashes. It's just, it's like putting hot bite, hot knife through butter or, or, yes. or a hot knife oh, through oh, a pavlova. Yes. Oh, I I forgot about that, but it is such a weird thing to watch. Yeah. The the murders, it's like it's not what you see almost anywhere else. It is. It's it's like sticking a knife in butter. It's weird. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that, but it's uh feel stuff. Well, I, I was watching like this is quite again, I used the S word, it's quite essential. It's, it's, like, it's like I enjoy this. It's like it's like visual ASMR. I was like, I could watch that all night. Yes, but what it almost is like to me, and I don't know if anyone else has this feeling, but when you're in a dream and you have to like fight someone and suddenly your arms move really slowly with <laughs> no force behind them and you, or like you're trying to walk and like for some reason your legs are just jelly. That's what that felt like to me a little bit. Very like they were just moving so slow and I don't know. Anyway, because before that, Ava rugby tackles Nathan, doesn't she? She rugby tackles Nathan. Basically, she sprints. She walks towards him. Yes, that's funny. (laughs) She just goes for a run. And then he then 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 he gets up and just knocks her arm off, and she almost looks at him as in like I I tried to read her face if it was shock or if it was kind of like again that final manipulative look. Like, please don't do this Mm. before. And then obviously, Kyoko slow plunges that knife into his back, and he then turns around and fucking smashes her face off and kills her. No. That was what I think yeah, Kyoko it's... was playing towards because before that in the corridor, because Kyoko's never met Ava, they say that they never met, and they have that wordless look 
And then the next scene is they are in the corridor, that, that very ominous corridor before the murder happens. And we don't know what they're saying because we know something. So we don't know what they're saying. And then maybe she's saying like, this is your chance, kill him. But it's a very like, yeah, disorientating scene, like very strange scene. There's no wild slashes. There's no screaming. There's no even barely grunting. It's almost very silent. But it's still horrifying because yeah. you're stuck in this dungeon of pain. I just, I think her and, Kyoko and Ava's sisterhood is very beautiful. Like you mentioned, they've never met, but they've both experienced this very abusive male in their lives. They've both had the same experiences to different degrees. And so they have that sisterhood of trauma, really. And I love that. I think in my head, um, what they're doing, and I don't want to be right or wrong. I just, this is how I feel, Mm -hmm. is that they when they were touching each other is when they were sharing those experiences to say, Hey, I, I've had the same feeling. Let's, let's kill him. <laughs> let's <laughs> yeah. kill us. Let's just do it. This is, this is fine. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I agree with that. And again, it, it's that, it's a very, I, I can't think of another word other than the S word again, but it's just something like the way it's done was so tastefully done at the same time. It wasn't subtle, but it felt like it. And the way the music complemented it, and the music is so complimentary and subtle at times, but when it needed to ramp up, it really did that kind of electronic beat. Um, yeah. And the music helped me, and the end scene, which is outside, like with the sun coming through the trees, and she's looking around, experiencing you know, the smells, the the sights, the feeling of air on her body, and that it's the music does so well to um, complement that. And I guess it had, had, had Kyoko survived, do you think she's taken her with her? No, <laughs> I think that that's your classic white feminism. Of, well, she was just a prop to die to propel my story forward. Mm-hmm. Um, she's expendable sort of situation and I'm the main character kind of um, way of thinking. I don't think that there was ever going to be a real sisterhood of let's get out of here, girls. Just you have We're going to do this. You've got your youth and once you're gone. Yeah. And I, I I respect that, 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 I mean, I don't respect white feminism, but I respect that that is Ava's character yeah, because yeah. she is, she, she, you know, she's not supposed to be this like loving character of let's be best friends kind of situation. Um, I know that we're like running out of time, you know? but I did want to bring up one thing, which is that I, I still don't know how I feel about what an AI is. Like, how would you describe an AI? How do we know the Turing test has passed? Well, that's it. I just assumed that he was going to say it passed because so Ava didn't get killed, basically. But um, I don't know because there were times when I was watching it, I was like, "This is very robot, a very robotic conversation." Um, it's, it's that's a good question. Is how do you define AI? Because the word artificial in itself kind of for me stops it because obviously it's not a organic being, but artificial artificial intelligence will never be you or I talk yeah. to each other. There'll always be some barrier there. There'll always be something like that whole, it's not quite the uncanny valley, but there's something. Um, but yeah, yeah, how do you know when you I, passed it? Well, how, is that, I don't know. Other than Am trying I to have human? sex Should I be cutting open my wrists in front of the mirror now? <laughs> and then smashing <laughs> the it, um, I just, I feel very odd about their Turing test just because we know that Nathan's main plan is to see if she'll try and escape. And to me, I think that that's a very human desire. Mm-hmm. He wants to know if she'll succeed. But for me, in, in you know, like changing Caleb and making him her on his side or whatever. But to me, she 
already is very human. Like how do we how do we define human intelligence to start with? Yeah, yeah. Right? Because there's so many different, different types ways, of yeah. of humans. Like we've got Obviously, like it can be very obvious stuff, but then at the same time, if you were to say, well, what makes us human, people would say our emotions, but then that not all humans have the same emotions. Yeah. That really cuts out people who are asexual or aromantic or autistic or perhaps are on some other spectrum. Like humans do not have linear or predictable yeah, emotions. They're not a template so we for a human. Yeah, we can't rely on humans as a blueprint of what makes an effective AI. And that's why I feel like, why, like, where do we start and where do we end? How do you even test that to begin with? Obviously I'm not a scientist and this is probably why. (laughs) Well, you you should be after that explanation. Um, No, I don't know. I mean, were they, was Alex Garland trying to say that Ava was in fact the perfect AI? Do you know what I mean? Is that the ending is going for? Is that this was the final model and, she can seamlessly incorporate herself within society, or was it just a case of, yeah, this was an AI who had an AI who had managed to, who had who was asking the questions about wanting to get out and knew in herself why why am I being cooped up here? Why are you doing this? I want to be free. I want to experience. It. Was it just a an AI who had developed that intelligence that you know she was on a level with humans, if if you could say so? I don't know. It's a it's a good question. Is how do you know when you've passed it? And the, I don't yeah, think the, the film doesn't give you that answer. As someone with ADHD, would I pass the Turing test? You know, like well, that's it. it makes you wonder, or like my autistic friends, would they pass the Turing test? Or some people I know who are asexual, who do not have that, what we, what people still, for some reason, consider a very human feeling of sexual desire. Do they pass the Turing test? And then we have to turn it on ourselves. And I think that that's what Ex Machina does to me as well, as it says, well, she has one thing that we know. She has a desire to leave. And whatever else she does, whether she's faking it, that's still very human. Humans fake emotions to get what they want. She wants to leave. And my, in my mind, that's it. Like if someone has one emotion, (laughs) one feeling, then that's it. They're done. They're, they're, they're an AI to me. Um, Anything else is just learning experience because otherwise we have to say, Oh, she doesn't feel love or blah, blah, blah. But it's, there's a romantic people and, autism and everything like that like it's all portrayed very differently we can't say we can't, there's no way to say is what i'm saying there is no effective turing test mm-hmm. yeah because there's so many like i say it's not, it's not just one linear path you can follow there's so many variables which absolutely change the um trajectory of any path and she even says you know what happens to you if you failed the test to a human an ai is challenging a human what, are they going to switch you off no but then yeah, what, what is the I test think she knows yeah she, he did she fail the test that no human out. can yeah, no human can really pass the Turing test if we were to actually create one. And so she's saying, well, if you can't pass it, what, why does it matter for me? Well, at what point do we stop? And I see where she's coming from with that. You'd feel terrible. It would be a horrible feeling. Yeah, well, she gets her final revenge on Caleb, who, again, to her, hasn't necessarily done I think anything. murder is a very human thing as well. Oh, oh yeah, to, to actually collude almost with another AI or being to do that is a very human thing, and it goes to show the heightened intelligence that you know, this was his might have been his greatest creation. I mean, how many creators are often killed by their greatest creation in in fiction or non fiction as well at times? But Caleb, poor sod, you know, he's he was guilty of leering and lecturing. She plays the ultimate card, and then when 
she basically, as soon as he inserts his key card into the main system, the whole thing shuts down. So he signed his own death, but because he because he kind of think well, he's a programmer, he'll find a way out. But no, she's made sure that he ain't yeah. getting out. He tries to break the glass door of a chair, and at the same time, it juxtaposed with Ava slowly walking through the trees. She's in no hurry, and when she meets the helicopter guy, we don't know what she's no, saying, really. but she gets on there. You know whether she manipulates helicopter guy or he just wasn't told who to expect. She gets on a helicopter. She's she's leaving the middle of nowhere. The, she's leaving paradise to go to the real world now. And the whole time for the rest of it. He's leaving the Garden of Eden. That's it. To and to start this come new. Come out into the gritty world. real world. And Caleb is left in hell almost, basically. Caleb's, Caleb's left to purgatory to, until he dies. He's not getting out of there. And it's a very. It's. Depending on your point of view, or from a certain point of view, is is it a positive ending? Is it a negative ending? Because I certainly feel for Caleb. It's an ending. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's an ending with many strands. Because if you look at it from, the, from Ava's point of view, she has got what she may be deserved. She's she's free of the shackles, the oppression, and Nathan. Did he get what he deserved on 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 the balance? Probably yes, very much so. Probably. Caleb. Then Caleb's kind of almost like the grey area because. Yeah. yeah, that's what makes you have that emotional response to the ending. I think, and that's why it's important that that they did it that way because you do you you feel a lot of things at once, yeah. which is a beautiful feeling. It's yeah, to feel bad for Caleb. Really like but then on the flip side, I I still feel like he's a bit of a bumbling idiot. And and do you know what? There's nothing wrong with being a bumbling idiot. I that. feel for people who are bumbling idiots. But on the same wavelength, I can see why she would be like, and so I, I do feel bad for him, but on the same wavelength, I don't feel like that was her being the worst bitch in the world because she's being like well this guy all he wanted was to fuck me Mm -hmm. he didn't really care about me that much um he's just this moron who's played into my demise and my captivity even if he wanted to free me what did he want to do with me once I was free would I just be in like she's only known one other guy for all she knows he's going to take her to a new dungeon and do what he wants with her there so for me if I was Ava I'd be very distrustful of any male or human I came across. And so I don't, I don't think that that makes her a bad person for doing that. I still feel bad for him, but I don't hate her for it. Yeah. She's got her well-defined reasons and everything you say about Caleb is people might hear that and think, but think to disagree, but it is set up during the film that Caleb, he spends so much time just staring at her, like gazing at her. It's, gulping, reaching yeah. out to touch, watching her as she sleeps, and the fantasizing about. Imagine getting if her he lived in her house. Like, of course, yeah. Oof. And then, he, and, he, and then she so, and then he finds out that she she does have she she, she is built with was for sexuality for sexual reasons as well. She has sexuality. She feels pleasure. You know, what I mean, it's like a light bulb's gone off and said it's not stuff which is just uh, speculating upon. It's in the film. It's it's there now. Whether again the the ambiguity, like like we say, is whether or not he would have taken her out and you know treated her right, taken her home to meet the parents and got made yeah. an honest woman out of her and all that kind of whatever. Or And being that he's a white saviour, I think he would have. Yeah. But she, she has no way of you, guaranteeing that. You don't that. know that, yeah. Or, but then again, he may not. He may have become so enraptured in his desire. Because remember, this is essentially his fantasy woman, as is his internet history and porno record show. So would would he become just another domineering male? There's just as much and chance also, of that. he... He hasn't grappled with what he's going to do once this AI is out in the real world. Because 
he he would then be left with this responsibility of being the only human who knows that there is an AI walking amongst us. Mm-hmm. And I think that eventually he would feel that power shift and he would feel very threatened by her existence, knowing that he's getting old and decrepit and she's continuing to just become better and better versions of herself because she's still probably tapping into that, you know, um, you know, search engines and whatever. And she's mm-hmm. continuously learning. She's not decaying. Um, I think she probably knows that there would, even if he were to treat her right, there would be a power switch and he would know it and he would probably feel the moral obligation at the very least to let others know that AI walk among us and to be vigilant, basically. It raises so many awesome questions and I'm glad that we don't have an answer because otherwise we wouldn't have had such a great discussion. And and films don't always have to be closed up in neat with a package on. I think Alex Garland is, he gave us an ending, which was what we were to discuss, but he's also kind of said, well, look, run away with it. If you think she's going to take over the world like the Terminators, go along with that if you want to. Or if you think she's just going to lead a, a not quite unquite normal life, then go with that. And I think that's a great way to end what was a excellent film. And I'd be remiss to not mention the food that they eat looks incredible. I can't say I even saw any of it, which it is a first for incredible. me. It looked, it looked like very nice sushi, and I was like, you know what, I'm there for that because I do enjoy some sushi. So, um, in terms, I mean, you've mentioned things you had issues with. Was there any, I mean, I've only got like two, and they are, to be fair, they're not they're fairly flippant. But was there anything else which you didn't think in terms of like the film? Then anything that didn't work for you? Any like anything which you just thought, you know what, could have done without that? Um, the opening scene. I don't know if I needed that. Um, the scene of him at work winning and some lady being like ah to me that was pretty pointless um I think if it had just been him turning up and we had had some sort of and we almost have it anyway some scene where Nathan says you know you won blah 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 this is what you're here for um but that's a very small thing I think it just doesn't set up the film quite the way it could possibly Mm -hmm. it's not a very incredible first scene you know it doesn't really capture your attention that well um other than that, I honestly can't say I have a lot of issues with it. I, I really don't know if there's any scene where, other than that one where I would say, I don't want that or I want that different, really. Mm-hmm. I'd like Kyoko to be fleshed out more, so to speak. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the other maybe clothed up a bit more as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 I can't say I hated a scene in particular. No, no, same here. There's nothing in this film I hate, like full on, like hate. The, it's interesting about the opening scene because you're right. Actually, if they do take that out, then the, the exposition we get later on that we find that he's a program, and in fact, he's a bloody good program, and he won a competition. Covers that, I guess. By having that opening scene, you can see the, you can see that there's some kind of facial recognition going on. So, mm. but that, but that then plays in later in the film. So that's almost kind of like a nod to what's going to happen. So, if you take it out, I don't think it affects it massively. Um, one flip one for me was I couldn't see the brand of beer they drank. It looked cool. I'd like to drink it. But um, outside of the film, some of the marketing posters for this show ominous shots of Ava. It's signaling that she's a bit nefarious, which if you see the poster before the film, you're almost set up to believe that Ava is evil. Because if you just look at like, the main poster of her kind of looking over her shoulder, looking kind of sultry, looking kind of almost like she, that the lighting on her is, 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 is in shadows. It's quite dark. It signals that she's... I had the budget for a good marketing team. 
Yeah, they're like just throwing the old crap together. They watched a film and they're like, right, she she bad, let's put her in. It was some idiot and they were like, mm, bad guy. Mm, yeah, bad put girl, her, put her in. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, I'm looking at that, I was like, do you know what? If you haven't seen a film and you see the, the poster, you go in potentially with the idea that she's bad or she is evil or she is manipulative in some way. So um, yeah. that was it, basically. Other than that, do you know what I mean? There's nothing really that I didn't like about this film. and. That's a- good film then yeah which is the great thing about these shows is i don't expect anyone to come up with like five or ten reasons but i think we can't or certainly you, you brought up your issues within the conversation and and they and yeah i think we've covered those very well and now they, they are issues though they're not issues which ruin the film per se but they they bring up wider discussion as to you know moral yeah, and compass I don't think they're issues that make me say i want this out of the film they're just issues that make me say i maybe want a bit more conversation about this in the film um or just conversation in general which is what we've had which i just honestly i don't know how long i could talk about this film but it would be a long time and i still would have points i wouldn't brought up it's just there's just so much and i love that Yep, again, a good film makes you want to discuss. A good film should make you question certain things as well. Other shows I've done where it's been full on gushing, but there's always been something like, you know what, that could have been tweaked. But something like Ex Machina makes you, it's an intelligent film. I hate it when people say that. Say that like, It's an intelligent film. It's almost talking down to people who didn't like it. And I certainly wouldn't aspire to that. But mm. it isn't, there, is a, there is a level of, there is a certain amount of layers to this film which lend itself to repeat viewings. And I'm yeah. not surprised that you watched it in your undergrad course to, to again, excuse the pun, but peel, peel the layers away. It was just amazing. If anyone ever has the opportunity to take a paper on science fiction, do it. It's just, it makes you think. It really makes you think, but in such a fun way. It doesn't make you think like your politics classes where you just want to fucking punch a book. Zombies. It makes you think and continue to think and want to talk about it and continue to talk about it with other people outside of your class. It's really science fiction would always go down as my favorite genre of all time, just because it has so many different ways that you can employ the genre in films. Like Mm -hmm. there's so many different types of uh, science fiction films, but all of them make you think even the stupid ones. Yeah. They always exist on a very existential level or a, a uh, human level as well, or like existence. There's always questions or yeah. something relating to that, which some go deep, some don't. Even even funny ones like Back to the Future still make me think about how what I do now, how is that going to affect what happens in the future and how such a small thing can change that stuff. So it's still, you yeah. know, I don't think there's a way to do a science fiction film, even in a stupid way that doesn't at least ask a couple of questions. It's speculative fiction, so yeah, we're all on our path. We're all on our direction where we are now because of what we've done before. And it's yeah, if you can go back and change something, would you? It, 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 there's that kind of dilemma, which is like the age old question. Would you fuck your mum? You know, like it makes you question. Yeah, Martin McFly was gonna. <laughs> you know what I mean? Marty was having a, was going to get a piece of that pie, and I'm glad he did. That would have been a bit odd to watch. So, um, in terms of the film, then four facts. It's not even facts. It was filmed in Pinewood. I say that because it's only around the corner from me. Woo! And the, the actual facility is the Juvet Landscape Hotel in Valdala, Norway. I would very much like to stay at the hotel. It, what is that? It's a little hotel in the middle of nowhere in Norway. Oh. So the actual... the so I could the, stay there? Yeah, the top part anyway. Maybe not the facility where you get locked in. It was filmed in digital in 4K in 2015. No green screen, no tracking markers, no special effects used in this film. Unreal how they managed to do it with the budget they had and the rotoscoping they did. 
And Caleb has the same Barbasol shaving foam that Dennis Nedry used in Jurassic Park. I saw it uh, when I rewatched the film and What squealed. do I do with this information? <laughs> well, what am I supposed to do with that information? What do I make of that? If you're an AI, you'll know what to do. So you've passed the test for me. You are not an AI. Otherwise, you would have taken that and worked with it. Um, I was watching Jurassic Park on Friday. Really? <laughs> and then I watched Ex Machina the next day, and I did not pick up on that. So I props oh, to you. I squealed like Jurassic Dennis Park, when I saw another it. fantastic science fiction film. Absolutely. And if you've heard the retrospective, you know I spoke about that uh, on at length with um, Big Boy and Antshot first. Very good episode that was as well. But Ex Machina, yes. I asked you guys out there, you listeners, you geezers, you girls, you cinephiles, what did you guys think of Ex Machina? And do you know what? Unsurprisingly, pretty one-sided. On Twitter, 82.5% if you liked it, 17.5% weren't fans. Instagram, 94% if you liked it, and 6% didn't. So who, who, who came in and gave some comments? Corey Starr, legend. She loved it. Malfador 300AM called it very underrated. Renegade 6 Killer called it a truly excellent film. Luke Summerfield, King of Wales, he remembers being absolutely intrigued by this. Cinema Paratuito, what a name, called it absolutely excellent. Vincent Cadena said it is an excellent script with a perfect ending. Alec, uh, Angus McGregor called it his favourite film of the last decade. He got a big thumbs up from 90s flicks. Donnie McGregor's G. McGregor's love this film. Mag- huh? I, didn't even, I didn't even think about that. McGregor's shout out. Uh, Donnie Jeep, he said, fantastic. I'm not going to do a French accent, Donnie. I'm not even going to try. Harrison Mind, she said it was an underrated excellence. And the Northern Hunk and Beefcake, Ant Shot First, who I've just mentioned. He said it's an incredible film when the dance scene is one of his favourite scenes of all time. <laughs> On the flip side, wow. though, Mike, also known as Bad Karma 5555, he said it's the only the second time in his life that he actually fell asleep in a movie theatre. So there are there are wow. people out there who weren't fans of it. So I always put that in for balance wow. if we get it. So, uh, But, mate, uh, Morgan, night, basically, what, let's, let's add those two together. Best part of 85% of people like this film. Are you surprised by that? I don't I think it would be hard to watch the film and not like it. I know my partner didn't think it was the most um gripping film. He's really more of like a um fast action kind of guy. But even then I don't think he hates it. Like I don't think he would have strong feelings enough to be like, Do you know what? I'm gonna comment on this guy's post and say I don't <laughs> like it. I'm gonna harass Alex so, Garland online about this. Yeah. So that that doesn't surprise me. I would say, um, in that respect it's a very middle of the road, like enjoyable film. You know, it's not polarizing. Yeah. Um, and I also think that if you don't like slow sci-fi, you probably wouldn't watch it anyway. Well, that's it. Yeah, it will, if, if this appeals to your taste, you're going to absolutely love this movie. Or if you can just appreciate a film for being a bloody good film, you may not think it's the best film of all time, but you, I, I always struggle with people who say a film like this isn't a good film, at least. I don't mean enjoyable. I mean a good, like the way it's been made, the technical side of it. Technically, it's wonderful. And uh, it's, it's an Oscar-winning film, so let's not forget that. But um, well, that's our ex machina discussion. What a bloody good discussion it was as well. We went deep so into that. We dove deep into that. And thank you, many thanks to Morgan for being an undergrad and actually writing about this film and coming up with those deeper issues. So, uh, Morgan, thank you so much for giving your time in, in the future to come and speak some ex machina. I cannot thank you enough for allowing me to talk about it because I'm for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Most people just don't put up with that shit anymore. Um, it's, 
stuff like this is like stuff I hyper fixate on and it's usually just left with me sitting down talking about it with myself so this has been a dream come true <laughs> I feel like I've been waiting to get you back on for years and obviously life gets in the way so I'm glad we finally got to dance one more like the scene in Ex Machina except you would probably out dance me but if people are listening and they think you know what this girl is this girl rocks where can the world find you online um, so I used to have a blog and I just, like you said, life gets in the way, have not updated it in years. So you can best find me, um, at Morgan Louise McGregor on Instagram. Although I'm not even that active on there, but if you want to find me, you can find me there. <laughs> you just, just, just send that a scout. You'll find her eventually. Yeah, if you're not following Morgan, what are you doing? Do it. You'll find some great pictures of food and booze when lockdown is <laughs> out of this i said that two years ago on podcast and i mean it still now and also you get to enjoy the splendor of new zealand's vistas which makes me jealous every time i log in but if you want to find me it's what i watch tonight.co.uk uh, rotten tomatoes the reviews will go up eventually when i start writing them but when lockdown eases i will start writing again eventually um what i watch tonight twitter instagram or on facebook as well we don't use it that often but it's still on there and if you do like what you've just heard please do let your buddies know who like film uh, leave us a review if you have a spare 30 seconds it would be absolutely massively appreciated if you would do that if you don't like what you've just heard just don't tell anyone yes no it's not, no, not worth wasting your time about it but again Morgan thank you so much for coming on everyone out there listening thank you so much for listening so until the next episode from me see ya see ya